When I dream about the moonlight on the Wabash, how I long for my Indiana home. Jim Neighbors may have hit a nerve with Taylor Schaefer when he belted out that famous line. She's a proud product of the Wabash Valley, who has made a remark in Indianapolis as a key force in politics and government. Joe Hogshead is mayor. Schaefer has been a main player in the Hogshead administration since the mayor ran for office in 2015. Now she's taking on a new role as chief ambassador for downtown Indianapolis. Meet me at the crossroads. And downtown is, in many ways, what has kept me here in Indianapolis. And the chance to be able to instead get up every morning and really think about this footprint and this footprint that I've had the opportunity to call home for all of these years was just really exciting for me. Taylor Schaefer, her journey from growing up in Terre Haute, life at Indiana State University, her vivid memories of visits to Indianapolis as a child, life in public service, and her vision as she takes over as the new leader of downtown Indianc. She's my guest this week on the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick, and I'm really happy you're with us for episode 93 of the podcast. Although I understand where Taylor Schaefer gets her passion to serve, you really need to go back to her days growing up as an only child in Terre Haute. Her mom, Tammy, owned a dance studio, and Taylor grew up cutting the rug. Mom also instilled life lessons that Taylor carries to this day. The mantra, if not you, then who? And I'm pleased to be joined on the podcast this week by Taylor Schaefer, the new president and CEO of Downtown Indy, Inc. Taylor, congratulations. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Gary. Um, and I say the new uh, leader uh, of the organization. That is true. As we tape this, you've been on the job basically 11 days. So how's how, how, how's it going? It's going well. Uh, it really is an exciting time to be a part of Downtown Indianapolis. And this organization is obviously had such a critical role in the continued vitality and success of the Mile Square and beyond. It's an exciting moment to be able to be a part of this organization and a part of downtown Indianapolis. Yeah, you're right. It, you know, the, the organization has been, a, I think, an integral part of the, uh, the evolution uh, of downtown Indianapolis. For those who may not know, maybe they are familiar with it, but just in terms of the organization, what it's all about and, and really its mission. Sure. So. So Downtown India is a membership-based organization that helps to support the cleanliness, the safety, and the vitality of downtown. That is in part through the support of our member organizations, but also through a long history of collaboration with the city of Indianapolis and with other civic partners uh, to really make sure that the Miles Square is always top of mind uh, when it comes to the vitality of the space, when it comes to the cleanliness of the space, when it comes to the safety of the space, and when it comes to really being able to be a host for so many visitors, businesses, uh, organizations 
that come through Indianapolis each day. What I would consider a very natural move for you, it worked for uh, Mayor Joe Hogshead, the Hogshead administration, for a number of years. You led the communications efforts there. And for the last couple of years, served as chief of staff uh, for Indianapolis Mayor Joe Hogshead. Um, what uh, what really intrigued you or interested you uh, in the job and making the move from the mayor's office to downtown Indy? Sure. So my first office when I moved to Indianapolis was here in what was then the Chase Tower. From there, I went to work at Young and Laramore, which is just about a half a mile what northeast of here. Lived downtown in the St. Joseph neighborhood for the last eight years and then bought a house in Holy Cross last year. So for me, uh, and as someone who grew up in Terre Haute, downtown was the attraction. Downtown was where you came for uh, zoo field trips and for back to school shopping and to celebrate the holidays. And downtown is in many ways what has kept me here in Indianapolis. I had originally imagined, I think probably like so many recent college graduates, that I would move to Indianapolis. I would get some experience and then I would move elsewhere. And instead what I found was that the walkability, the uh, connectivity, the ability to have so many different cultural and entertainment and culinary experiences all within a pretty small footprint made for a really livable experience that was exciting for me. And so I've had the opportunity for the last six, almost seven years to work on behalf of the entirety of Marion County and the chance to be able to instead get up every morning and really think about this footprint and this footprint that I've had the opportunity to call home for all of these years was just really exciting for me. How would you characterize the state of downtown Indianapolis? As you mentioned, there is a lot going on downtown, certainly challenges, but you look at what's going on in and around Gainbridge Fieldhouse. You look at the new Elanco corporate campus, which stands to transform that that part of downtown Circle Center. It's been a challenge, but those, there are going to be some big changes uh, there as well. Indy 11 uh, Park. Uh, so there are a number of big projects uh, underway or uh, on the boards, but how would you overall characterize the state of downtown Indianapolis? No, I think that's right. I think if you if you go back in our city's history and kind of break up decade by decade, it's probably undeniable that this chapter in our downtown's history is a really post-pandemic era. Um, it will be shaped by the last several years as every downtown across America, I think, is being shaped by the last several years and the realizations and learnings coming out of a pandemic. But I also think that Indianapolis is uniquely positioned to be able to move forward from that, to be able to see a doubling down on the type of live, work, play environment that is not just so attractive for attracting talent, but also really building upon areas of our of our downtown adjacent real estate that I think have been for so long overlooked. The idea of continued development really jumping the White River uh, and moving into that Elanco campus, uh, not to mention 16 Tech, not to mention phase two of Bottleworks, not to mention the exciting uh, development happening with the IU Health Campus. Uh, it, it really feels like there is this, and not to mention the one you included, which was uh, the work happening at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, the expansion of the cultural trail. 
in just about every direction you look out your window here in downtown, you can see a crane in the air and construction occurring. And so that continued momentum um, both lends itself well to reimagining the next chapter of downtown Indianapolis, but also I think reiterates why it is so important to have an organization like this at the table to ensure that the businesses, to ensure that the companies, and to ensure that the increasing residential population have a voice in that continued uh, evolution and to ensure that someone is getting up every morning really invested in what the future of this uh, core of our city looks like. Lots going on, as you suggest. Indianapolis, though, not immune to the challenges facing many cities, crime, safety, homelessness, those issues which have been around for a while, but now seem to have bubbled up to the to the top. Last week, Starbucks announced they're closing on Monument Circle for, quote, safety reasons. Your reaction to that, does that make a statement about Indianapolis? Does it how do you react or how do you kind of, uh, uh, you know, put that in perspective with the bigger picture downtown? Well, I think there's a couple of things to be said about that. And I, the first one simply being that it's disappointing. It is disappointing to see uh, a business make that choice, uh, especially in a moment in time where you have a sort of ever increasing drumbeat of people coming back downtown, people spending more time downtown, people planning their holidays uh, in downtown. The the positive thing that I would point out is that you also have several uh, local coffee shops that are all within a couple of blocks from there that hopefully those both working and visiting downtown will be able to go visit. Uh, Downtown really continues to be the safest district in Indianapolis. Uh, Our IMPD liaisons tell me that it accounts for less than 5% of overall crime, and yet We also understand that the perception of public safety is just as critical as the realities of it, which is why we continue to collaborate with IMPD to prioritize investment in increased patrols, both with bike patrols and with uh, officers really focusing on public spaces, especially around public events and where we're going to see increased crowds. We also continue to fund uh, the Downtown Indy Safety Ambassador Program, The smiling faces of those safety ambassadors uh, are pretty frequent sites for many of our business owners who have gotten to know them. And that just adds an additional level of both, I think, security, but also communication, because we know that our IMPD officers can't be everywhere all the time. So utilizing those safety ambassadors that can be in businesses regularly, that can interact with folks trying to find their way as they visit downtown or as they travel around downtown, just increases that level of engagement and hopefully helps to continue uh, combating some of those perception issues around public safety that we see not just in downtown Indianapolis, but in so many downtowns across the country. Yeah. yeah. Do you think, Taylor, th- th- those issues have always been a concern and certainly top of mind for, for city uh, planners and, and others uh, who support downtown Indianapolis. Do you think there's a sense of urgency, maybe a little more so now coming out of the pandemic, the challenges uh, you know, facing downtowns all over the country, getting people da- back downtown? Do you, do you sense that sense of urgency maybe is a little heightened? I think that's absolutely right. I think that in any public 
space in any downtown where you have the sort of steady drumbeat of workers five days a week go to two days a week or three days a week, it's going to feel different. And so it is why there's probably that heightened sense of urgency, that heightened sense of investment prioritization. But it's also why as as downtown Indy, as a community, we have to also prioritize what it looks like for our downtown to be a 365 day environment. And I think that's why it's really important that we continue to prioritize the pipeline of residential properties in the mile square, that we continue to celebrate and engage the 97% occupancy rate in our residential properties and those people that live there. Because the truth is what we saw, what many downtowns saw coming out of the pandemic was that in order for a downtown to really be vibrant, it has to feel truly like a place where people are living and working and playing. Mm -hmm. And while part of our city's incredible legacy is as a world-class event space, as as a world-class convention center, uh, those things tend to be focused on individual periods of time and not a 365-day approach. A couple of big high-profile uh, developments that uh, stand to, to really affect the future of downtown Indy is the future of Circle Center. Certainly, and I can remember, I've been around long enough to, to have been at the, uh, the grand opening of that mall and what it meant for Indianapolis at the time and for a number of years after. Obviously, it's fallen to a different direction. A lot of work is being put in, I know, to what that next chapter is for Circle Center. How important is the future of Circle Center to that bigger, you know, overall picture of downtown Indianapolis? Oh, I think it's critical, but it's critical, not just in terms of what that space becomes, but also what that space represents for all of the surrounding properties, right? It is a food court. It is a food option for people coming in town this weekend, uh, you'll have marching bands from from all various places in town. That makes for a really great stop for those type of uh, events. It makes for a really easy connector for conventions when uh, every once in a while it snows or there's bad weather here in Indianapolis. Not that that would ever happen, but occasionally uh, it makes for a really great it makes for a really great connector system. And I know is a selling point for Visit Indy when they're talking to conventions, uh, when the CIB is talking to event spaces. It, it, it matters. And so ensuring that not just the space and the real estate is being elevated, but also how it is playing a role with the contiguous properties and the other stakeholders uh, that make up our downtown. Another big project, and you touched on it earlier, and that's Elanco uh, in the corporate campus at the former GM stamping plant. Really high profile project, high profile property. And I don't think it's overstatement to say it will transform, uh, you know, certainly that west side of downtown Indy going across the White River. As you look at the Elanco project, in your view, uh, what can that help Indianapolis downtown become? Well, uh, for so long, we as a community have sort of turned our back on the White River, and there is a lot of history and reason for that. But I, it seems like the momentum has really grown, even over the last decade, to rethink our community's engagement with the White River. And 
to me, that additional connectivity with the bridge, the additional multimodal connectivity, the expansion of White River State Park and how those components interact with that site, not to mention sort of the hope and excitement that comes with the Valley neighborhood being able to reimagine that footprint is incredibly exciting for the future of downtown. I think the Interstates have always sort of played an interesting role in a, at least since their creation, as sort of a barrier to from the neighborhoods to downtown. But the White River was a pretty organic barrier that occurred. And so being able to not just have an additional bridge, but also as the city and Alenco and partners like the Cultural Trail think about how we really connect that development to downtown, how we ensure that people in the Valley neighborhood, workers at the Alenco campus have the ability to travel over to a Indians game or make their way over for drinks and dining after work. Uh, I think it only sort of creates an environment where you've got connectivity that's really unprecedented uh, with that site and uh, for downtown. As you look going forward uh, in terms of that future of downtown Indianapolis, obviously you want to get to continue to have that critical mass of people living downtown, working downtown with whatever this post-pandemic uh, world becomes uh, in the world of work. Uh, you know, a lot of speculation about what that will look like, that that not as many people, whatever that number is, no one knows really, but not that many people are going to be in as many people are going to be in the office as you think through the next five, 10 years beyond. How does that, whatever that reality becomes in terms of the workplace in down, how does that impact downtown Indianapolis? I think it only incentivizes everyone from developers to community planners to the city of Indianapolis to think about what transformation of those properties look like. And the positive that I'd point out, yeah. I did probably a, a vastly incomplete job when I was listing projects uh, that excite me around downtown. A uh, couple that I've left off speak really critically to the point that you're making. When you look at the construction that Keystone is doing on the AT&T building, when you look at the proposed development uh, of that kind of market, um, city market block, and the the shift from office space in the gold building to being a residential tower. I think all of those, uh, not to mention the uh, several hotel developments, Hotel Indy, which is already open after having been uh, an office complex for decades, and the conversations that are happening with the Kimpton Project off of Pennsylvania. All of those are examples of reuse of, of properties where they have for a long time, maybe in many cases since their existence, served as office towers, thinking differently about that space, thinking differently about what demand looks like, and then what the built environment around it looks like. The, mm -hmm. the city market development is so interesting because I think it really speaks to that sort of post-pandemic prioritization for people in the sense that Sure. Could you live there and then work downtown and maybe walk to work five days a week? Maybe. But mm -hmm. also it creates a campus with the proposed development would create a, the type of campus environment that you're seeing really become a trend among businesses as they're seeking outsides, among 
people choosing where to live, where you've got food options on site. You might have your office option on site. You may have the type of entertainment and kind of all week accessibility and and cultural opportunities that that proposed development would provide. And I think that is a real evolution from thinking about a workplace or thinking about a residential property as somewhere someone is going for a set period of time, but instead how we're creating an ecosystem that uh, attracts talent that works, whether they're going to be in office five days a week or in a flexible workspace five days a week, and uh, how that market demand is meeting those needs. Do do you think, uh, Taylor, is the downtown footprint, is it going to be bigger? I mean, I think about what's happening at Gainbridge Fieldhouse in, in that uh, all that proje- project on the near east side, the projects you just mentioned. Then you go to the near west side, the Elanco project and in Indy 11 Park. D- d- does that I- indicate that that, you know, for the center city out, it's kind of getting getting a bigger footprint going forward? Let me say a couple of things. You're right. Uh, you just named another one that I didn't manage to include in my original listing. The, the development happening at Elevator Hill and the repurposing of Jail 2 and the APC are incredibly exciting and selfishly, as a Holy Cross resident, exciting for reconnecting downtown. I mean, I have I have probably walked or driven up Market Street into downtown every day for a year and a half now. And it's fair to say that it's very doable. It's a very easy road to come in on when construction isn't in the way. But it doesn't necessarily feel like a connected several blocks, right? I mean, you're you're talking about less than a mile, and yet it feels disjointed. You've got some more industrial parts. You've got some more less pedestrian-friendly, less connected-feeling parts. Uh, and so each day as the uh, apartment complexes rise out of Elevator Hill, as you have more businesses moving in there, and when looking at the proposed development for that Jail 2 and APC site, you're talking about a really strong connectivity corridor between that neighborhood and the mile square. I think there's always going to be a mile square. I think there's mm-hmm. always going to be the independent identity of these contiguous neighborhoods, both in terms of the history of them and the incredible neighborhood groups that help to make up those adjacent sites. But what I hope you see is increased Uh, is a removal of some of the barriers for being able to interact within those districts and an increased level of connectivity for businesses, for residents, for uh, really development and opportunity, which only creates more of a vibrant feeling city. And so there's always going to be a need to think about our mile square and invest in our mile square as a very specific site. But I also think that the more we can do to strengthen that entire kind of urban core ecosystem, the better and stronger we are as a community. Much more ahead with Taylor Schaefer, the new CEO of Downtown Indie Inc. When we return on the Business and Beyond podcast, we'll talk uh, growing up in Terre Haute, Indiana State University, and a lot more when the Business and Beyond podcast returns.
This is Alex Brown. Get caught up on the state's top business news every business day with Inside Indiana Business Radio On Demand. This twice-daily podcast features our statewide Inside Indiana Business Radio reports with additional bonus content that you can listen to anytime, anywhere. You can listen now on the podcast page at InsideIndianaBusiness.com or subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week is Taylor Schaefer, the new president and CEO of Downtown Indie Inc. Uh, I know a lot on your plate now, but let's uh, let's take a spin back uh, to the old Terre Haute days. So you grew up in uh, the heart of the Wabash Valley, right, uh, Taylor? Terre Haute, Indiana. What was growing up in Terre Haute like? The best way I probably could explain Terre Haute for me growing up was that my my grandma grew up in Fountainette. My mom lived most of her life in Terre Haute. And uh, it meant that walking through the aisles of Baszler's was really a social outing that you just had to plan for. Uh, <laughs> my mom has never known a stranger. And so it, going to Baszler's, even if you were just running in, was talking to someone in nearly every aisle because you saw your second grade teacher or someone you went to camp with and Terre Haute was really great for that. Yeah, and you mentioned your grandmother, because I know in doing a little research, you're, you were very close to your, your grandma, right? I was. She passed away last year at 92, but she was a force. Uh-huh. Well, how so? Describe her. Um, my grandpa passed away when my mom was 11, and my grandma ran his business, Popular Subscription Service, for another 50, 60 almost probably almost 70 years wow. uh, which it, it was very much a a uh, a tool of its time uh it served large institutions whether those were colleges universities um uh, hospital systems and did bulk subscriptions so from the time that i can remember she had this huge warehouse that was filled with magazines and publications and seemed like the most magical place in the world you could walk in and have a box for just about anything in just about every interest area she was larger than life and and had very specific opinions on just about everything <laughs> So again, doing a little research, you were involved in a lot of stuff. So what did you do? Sports, school activities, extracurriculars. You, you, were you a, a busy kid? Gary, I appreciate you saying that I did sports. I am the least athletic human being you would ever <laughs> imagine. Uh, my mom ran a dance studio. And so I grew up dancing um, both in the studio environment and competitively uh, was on my dance team for several uh, for several schools and several years. But newspaper, student government, uh, yearbook, I I did. I like to keep myself busy. I will never forget my first job out of college, getting done at five o'clock and thinking, well, now what? Because there had never been a time prior that I wasn't getting done with class and running to a part-time job or running to practice or running to a meeting. That was an adjustment in adulthood was trying to figure out what I do with my time because prior, I'm pretty sure I signed up for just about anything you could imagine. Where, where did that that community-mindedness, civic-mindedness, is that where it started as, a, as a, a young person growing up there in Terre Haute? I would tell you that the answer is probably twofold. Uh, my mom very intentionally instilled a level of if not you, then who uh, in me. Um, 
even even small things of just trying to have sympathy or empathy for where a person was. I I don't know that there was ever a family that was attempting to take a picture uh, with one member being the designee trying to take a picture that my mom didn't stop and ask if she could do it so that everyone could be in the picture together. Yeah. And that that sort of mindset of those, it, it's not hard to help someone. Um, and it if it takes a few minutes out of your day to make someone else's day better, uh, is very much something my mom instilled in me. I, I also think that at a relatively early age, I was probably early high school, uh, started volunteering at 14th and Chestnut Community Center. And while probably throughout school, I'd had friends and experiences that came from all sorts of different angles, it was maybe the first time that I had the chance to experience how valuable a community center and a kind of a community of support could be for a family's well-being and how critical that could be to the outcomes a student had and the and the opportunities a young person had and i think that very much instilled in me a sense of value for the types of organizations the types of nonprofits the types of community programming that can really make a critical difference in a young person's life. You went on to Indiana State University. Was that uh, just the natural, that was where you were going to go? Or did you think about other other schools when you were looking at college? Oh, Gary, I would have told you that I absolutely was never, ever, ever going to go there. By that point, my mom was working at Indiana State, and I swore that I did not want to be uh, in Terre Haute a second longer but my mom talked me into being there for at least my first year to get some of my general courses done. And like I said, she was working there. And so that was obviously a benefit from a financial situation and spent a year there and loved it uh, in a similar way to, to your previous observation, kind of dove in headfirst, got really involved in a variety of aspects of student life and found that it, it was sort of the best of all of the worlds. I had looked at DePauw, I looked at IU, and it was sort of that mid-sized dynamic with a really diverse student population and the ability to get really involved in a bunch of things without it feeling too small or like the size of my high school. And so uh, I had a wonderful experience at Indiana State and uh, enjoyed every second of it. Yeah, fellow Sycamore, we each of us uh, uh, ISU grads, so that's uh, always great to have an ISU person on the podcast. And I should mention you earned many accolades while you were at ISU, including in 2010, you were crowned Miss ISU. That is that is factually accurate. <laughs> <laughs> what was that like? That's that's awesome. Uh, I think for anyone who knows me as an adult, this fun fact is always um, astonishing to them. But uh, so when I was growing up, Miss Indiana, the state pageant was held in Terre Haute. And when you're five, six, seven, the a bunch of college girls getting to dress up in fancy outfits and perform seems like a really cool opportunity. And then I found myself at 17, 18, 19, first of all, no longer 
competitively dancing and had been doing that all through high school, uh, I found myself really thinking critically about what I wanted to do next and liked the, I'm, a, I'm also, I won't lie, a little competitive. And so the opportunity to kind of experience all of those things, work on myself as a full person, uh, continue being able to perform in a way that I felt like I had kind of lost, and then to be able to invest in myself and think about the future and create a network of young women across the state uh, who were similarly driven and similarly interested in those same experiences was wonderful. Uh, there are still, uh, in the last probably two weeks, I've had the experience of getting to see or work with or be around three or four different women that I knew from competing in pageants. And while, uh, like I said, that sentence is maybe laughable, uh, I would never, I wouldn't trade those relationships and those experiences for the world. Yeah. Well, again, you received numerous awards. You were the President's Medal Award winner at Indiana State. And here's the thing I find most amazing. That year, you were the President's Medal Award winner. I was actually the commencement speaker at ISU and my whatever words I had of wisdom. Fortunately, it didn't do anything to deter you from great success uh, leaving ISU. <laughs> no, you were a wonderful speaker. Uh, it, and it's nice, it's nice when Sycamore Worlds collide. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you've got a lot on your plate now uh, going forward. As you look at the next uh, the next year, maybe the next one to five years, what were your priorities as, as you look at downtown Indy? Uh, lots of opportunity here, certainly challenges uh, as well. But uh, as you look at that big picture, what do you see as really kind of priority areas for you as you tackle downtown Indy in the future? Well, uh, I think part of our organization's core mission is the clean, safe, beautiful dynamic. And I think beautiful means a lot of different things to a lot of people. It's it's the planters on the corners of the streets, but it's also what the vitality and vibrancy, what the culture of downtown feels like, what it what someone's experience is when they step downtown for the first time. And so at a time in which we're seeing truly unprecedented levels of private investment occurring all around downtown, I think ensuring that our organization continues to be an advocate for our members, continues to be a tool for those that are living in downtown. Uh, we have for so long talked about how downtown is the fastest growing neighborhood in the city, and yet in many ways have still continued to treat it like it's a visitor's destination. And so I think our organization can be an advocate for that more holistic look at what livability looks like, and then continues to work to incentivize and spur additional development to help complement where the market is currently going, to help identify where there is additional need, and to really be a partner for the ecosystem of civic organizations to be to ensure that they're continuing to think about Indianapolis and and specifically downtown Indianapolis uh, and that range of needs uh, of the mile square. 
Taylor Schaefer, the new president and CEO of Downtown Indy, an important uh, organization, and you are certainly leading it at a very important time for uh, Downtown Indianapolis. Taylor, really appreciate you taking the time. Congratulations on this new role, and I look forward to working uh, with you uh, on a number of uh, uh, things going forward in the future. Absolutely. Thanks, Gary. And thank you for joining us on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. It's a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. And you can download all of our episodes and get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.